Boom, 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 chicka, boom, boom. Hi, and welcome to the Urgent Care Basics Podcast. On today's podcast, we will be discussing asthma. Um, and thank you so much for following us on Instagram and Facebook at Urgent Care Basics. We also have our website, urgentcarebasics.com, and an email if you have any suggestions or comments about the show. Um, our email is urgentcarebasics at gmail.com. All right, um, let's go ahead and start with our pop quiz. When was the first inhaler invented? A, 1920. B, 1778. C, 1590. Or D, 1490. And we'll be back with our answer. Take it away, Urgent Care Doc. Hello and welcome to the Urgent Care Basics Podcast. Today we'll be talking about asthma. And why are we talking about asthma? If you guys had been paying attention to the news the last couple of weeks, almost a month, the whole West Coast is on fire. And that's where I reside. So I've seen a lot of asthma attacks, asthma exacerbation, a lot of lung-related issues from such terrible air and poor air quality. So let's get into it. Asthma is a very common illness. It affects uh, prevalence in the United States between 7 to 8% of the population. That comes close to about 24 to 25 million people in the U.S. who have had diagnosed asthma. About 100,000 people are hospitalized a year with asthma-related visits. So this is a very common issue and one that you will be seeing. And if you, like I said before, if you're on the West Coast or Colorado, I think it also has some pretty large fires going on now, um, then you are dealing with this and you are treating people with it. The majority of people currently with these kind of air quality should stay home. The um, kind of pollution and pollutants in the air are the worst they've been in some time. So keep in mind to, at least when the air quality is that bad, recommend your patients stay home, whether they have or don't have asthma. So it's one of the things you can do to prevent any worsening issues. So the cause of asthma, as far as what leads a patient to have an asthma, mostly is genetic. We don't know why that occurs, but we know a certain amount of population does have that. So keep that in mind. Um, also keep that in mind with uh, patients who come in with persistent coughs, with undiagnosed asthma. Um, as for a history, usually family history of asthma can be correlated to having asthma uh, or um, any other triggers or history when they were a kid. Sometimes folks will outgrow their asthma or the symptoms will become less, but in situations where they're exposed to, you know, allergens or they have a viral infection or the air quality is poor, you'll have similar symptoms uh, or uh, reactivation of asthma-like symptoms. So keep that in mind when taking your history. As previously mentioned, one of the most common complaints of patients with asthma is a persistent cough. Once again, when people come in and they've had a cough for months, keep that in the back of your head as a diagnosis, especially in folks that have not been diagnosed formally with asthma. Today, we'll be discussing primarily people that have been diagnosed with asthma and come in with an asthma exacerbation. What does that look like? Usually, they have had cough, increased wheezing, shortness of breath, specifically with physical activity or at rest, 
and an increased use of their inhaler. So if you have a patient in front of you who comes in with hard time breathing, has a known history of asthma, is usually on an inhaled corticosteroid, and they're telling you they're using their inhaler three, four times a week, that is getting close to having an asthma attack or an asthma exacerbation. If somebody is controlled on their inhaled corticosteroid, they should be using or be having decreased use of albuterol inhaler or their rescue inhaler to a couple times a month, if that. And that's the whole goal. The whole goal of the corticosteroids are to keep that lung function cool and improved and good, as opposed to when there is something that's triggering it, the inflammatory kind of reactions get worse, and that requires that albuterol inhaler to allow people to breathe. So also when you're taking a history, that is a very good indicator of how well controlled their asthma is. So when taking a history, always ask, was there anything that triggered this issue? Have you had any flu-like or cold-like or respiratory-like illness in the last couple of days that may also trigger or make asthma worse? And um, have you had any changes in your medications? Oftentimes, people will stop using their maintenance medications because they're doing well. This usually happens in your younger population, so your teenagers and your early kind of 20-year-olds, they will stop or forget to use their maintenance inhaler. And for no good good reason, they just don't take it, they've been feeling well, and they don't find the need to take it. And oftentimes, that will lead to an increased use of the rescue inhaler or their albuterol inhaler, and oftentimes to a asthma exacerbation. So keep track or make sure you're asking the patients, is this, um, are you still on the medications that are that you've listed in your, your record? So once you've gone down the history and maybe the patient has been increased, has increased use of their uh, rescue inhaler, has um, been out and about in poor air quality, or oftentimes has been triggered in the acute setting by an allergen, whether it be some sort of food they ate that they have an allergy to, um, uh, perfumes, or their pets. Is there a new pet in the house or a pet they're interacting with? Um, now that you've determined that this person has an, um, is kind of by history having an asthma exacerbation or attack or flare-up, then you go to your physical exam. And the things you have to do on these exams is obviously a lung exam and sort out is there wheezing when you're listening to them. So that's one. Um, oxygen level. Oxygen level should be above 94%. Anything between 90 and 94 means they're having an issue with their oxygen. So also another clue that they're having an asthma exacerbation. And in more severe cases, are they using extra muscles to breathe? Are there traps being involved when breathing? Are they, you know, worst case scenario, somebody comes in, they're tripoding, meaning they're putting the hands on the table and they're using every other muscle, including their lungs and diaphragm to suck air in. Those are severe cases. Uh, usually you want to supply those folks with oxygen and get them to the ER. Um, Anyhow, so in your exam, you're doing a lung exam, you're looking for a respiratory rate. Are they breathing really fast? Are they using any extra um, 
any auxiliary muscles to breathe. Um, and then obviously the other vitals, make sure their blood pressure is within normal range, uh, heart rate's normal. It could be a little fast if they're breathing really fast or they're having that asthma attack and go from there. So if somebody is having a severe asthma exacerbation, they're using all, you know, they're using their whole body to breathe. You want to give them oxygen, get a, if you can, albuterol inhaler, um, Currently, with COVID being in the population, um, and um, nebulized treatment in a clinic usually is not recommended because it aerosolizes, aerosolizes um, vi- virus particles. So, but if you need to, you need to, right? The, I mean, if this person's life depends on it, get them on an albuterol inhaler or nebulized inhaler or nebulizer. And then con on one. So those are emergencies. Oxygen under 90, those are emergencies. Con on one, get them to the hospital. Now, if the patient is less severe, then you want to, once again, do the physical exam. The other additional thing you need to do is get a peak expiratory flow with a peak flow meter. And that is helpful to tell you how severe they are, obviously, if they're not critical. So you have to, you should be able to do a peak Um, you should be able to use a peak flow meter to determine the severity of their current asthma um, attack. And the answer is B. In 1778, an English physician and astronomer named John Mudge published a book in which he described a modified beer tankard and coined the word inhaler. The book was t- titled A Radical and Expeditious Cure to the Recent Cartankerous Cough. Used at home and in hospitals, the Mudge Inhaler became popular for treatment of any illness that caused a cough. To use, hot water was poured into the bottom of the mug, the lid was closed, and a flexible leather or textile breathing tube was attached to the opening in the cover. The patient would tuck the device under his arm to retain its warmth and then inhaler and inhale the steam through the tube. Holes were drilled into the top of the hollow handle mixing fresh air with the steam. Exhaled air passed through the valve and the lid. Herbs and other medicinals such as opium could be added to the water. The mudge inhaler was initially used for surgical anesthesia and it is soon replaced by inhalers that are made specifically for that purpose. A patient with history of asthma should have their known best peak expiratory flow and you should be able to gauge that with their current uh, expiratory flow with the use of a peak flow meter. Anything in the 40% range is a forty or lower is severe, and those are the folks you're going to get to the ER. Anything between you know higher fifty to eighty is um, is also severe to moderate, and those you can triage and treat in the clinic. Obviously, depending on how they're doing, and anything over seventy percent you could definitely treat in the clinic. Um, obviously, all of this is dependent on how they're oxygenating. So you got to make sure that the oxygen levels are, you know, above 90% and they look comfortable. Now, if they look really uncomfortable and their oxygen keeps dropping under, you know, 90% without supplemental oxygen, ER. 
So you're using this tool. It's a very simple tool. Um, you have them blow into the peak uh, flow meter, and then you either use their best expiratory flow or a predicted expiratory flow. And they have these. There are these charts that usually go by uh, sex and height. So you're using those two kind of tools to sort out where they are in this uh, inflammatory state for their asthma. So in clinic, you've determined this person is mild to moderate asthma exacerbation, and you're able to treat them. Usually, without the current pandemic, you're able to do a nebulized albuterol treatment and uh, steroids, and that usually will subside the exacerbation. Nowadays, um, you can use um, an inhaler with a spacer, and in theory, this is equivalent to nebulized treatment. That being said, um, from my anecdotal experience, it seems easier for patients to slowly take in small, small breaths, especially when they're acutely inflamed, through the nebulizer machine, and it gets the medication in a little slower than doing the two puffs of or uh, the inhalers with a spacer. By the data, they're supposed to be equivalent. So take that with what, you know, take that for what it is. That's what I've looked up. They're supposed to be equivalent. Anecdotally, I feel like if somebody has a hard time breathing and they can take little small puffs of the, the nebulized machine, it tends to work a little better. So if you're treating them for that, um, you're using the inhaler with a spacer. The next step is making sure you send them off with steroids. Or you could give them a steroid dose in the clinic. Um, and the steroid treatment usually is for 5 to 10 days. In the past, it used to be that you would do a long taper of prednisone going from 60 milligrams for 3 days, 40 milligrams for 3 days, 20 milligrams for three days, and 10 milligrams for another three days. So that's almost two weeks worth of taper. Uh, clinically, there's been evidence that you could just do a, a burst, meaning 50 milligrams for five to 10 days is equivalent to any taper. From my own clinical way of practicing, I like the simplest form possible. And why, so I choose a burst, usually between five to 10 days, depending how severe the patient is. One of the reasons I like that is I had in the past a patient who was given a long taper, so two weeks close to of prednisone. This person took all the medications, which started at 60, tapered down to 10 milligrams, over, like I said, a, a period of two weeks, they took that total amount in about three days because they misunderstood the instructions. So that person came in, and if you know the side effects of prednisone, then it makes you hyper, it makes you hungry, it makes you grumpy, and it messes with your sleep. So this particular patient came in uh, grumpy, hungry, lack of sleep, and very angry at me, despite me not having given them that medication. So from my perspective, doing a simple 50 milligram or 60 milligram prednisone straight dose for five to 10 days is easier and people do follow it better.
The times I will use a taper is if a patient has come in and they have recently had a burst, maybe five to ten days, and they are having a re-exacerbation or another episode very close by to the previous one within a week or so, then I will extend uh, the prednisone course and I will taper out usually over 12 to 14 days. Um, but those are the times when I use tapers, usually not on that first presentation because once again, I, I feel like the regimen can be complex and depending on the patient, Sometimes they'll, um, you know, it's hard to follow. And if you're taking any medications yourself, one a day can be hard, not alone. Take three today, then two tomorrow, then one the next day. So, you know, simple, simple, I think, makes it better and makes it easier for patients to follow. So once you've treated the patient with albuterol in the office, maybe give them a dose of albuterol or prednisone in the office, um, you could do a reassessment and check if their peak expiratory flow has improved. And if you've improved from whatever their baseline was to above 70% of their predicted expiratory flow, then you're okay to send them home. If the person is under 40, once again, that under 40 group should have gone to the ER or either needs to go to the ER or be admitted to the hospital. Above, you know, 40, you have to also consider their oxygenation. Are they oxygenating over, let's say, 90%? Do they look comfortable? So the peak expiratory flow does help you kind of titrate your your um, level of acuity. So And the gauge that you are making improvements in this patient. So I think... That does it for asthma. So the thought is you are going to do albuterol in the office, a steroid if possible, with appropriate follow-up if they're not getting better, and severe patients should go to the ER or be admitted if they're not responding with treatment, usually within an hour. So keep those in mind um, for your next patient with asthma, and stay safe out there. And I think that covers asthma exacerbation for now. A quick PSA, make sure you're using your proper PPE. That includes an N95 mask uh, and some safety goggles or safety glasses when seeing your patients um, just to protect yourself. All right. Hope you guys have a good week and stay safe. Here are the clinical pearls from today's episode. Number one, using... A peak flow meter can help determine the severity of asthma exacerbation, as well as help determine the efficacy of your treatment. Number two, increased use of albuterol inhaler can be a warning sign of uncontrolled asthma. Number three, oral steroids should be given for asthma exacerbation. Prednisone bursts can be used as equivalent to taper. Um, Number four, Patients should be instructed to always have their albuterol inhalers with them or in reach at all times um, as they can be life-saving in acute asthma attack. Number five, consider starting inhaled corticosteroids if the patient has poorly controlled asthma. All right, that's the pod for today. Thank you so much for listening. You can please follow us on Instagram at Urgent Care Basics and on Facebook. 
Um, and you are you can always visit our website, urgentcarebasics.com, for more information. Uh, we appreciate you listening to us, and we'll see you next time. Stay safe out there.